God has done over the last week. Um, celebrate and thank our volunteers, especially, um, and really celebrate kids' ministry. Um, every week we pour into these young people. Um, our volunteers give their gifts and their time, and, and we, uh, this, is super, this is Super Bowl week um, as it regards our ministry to those birth through fifth grade. Flip camp, it doesn't get any bigger or better than this, and so we wanted to uh, celebrate this church as well. You guys um, prayed for and donated towards uh, pulling off Flip Camp, and it really was an amazing week to witness all that God did um, in the lives of our young people. Um, <clears throat> Eric thanked our volunteers, but I also want to thank Eric himself, um, our kids' ministry family pastor. <clears throat> he, uh, he's, he's pretty thoroughly silver-haired, but I do think the stress of flip camp was somehow able to make him even more gray-headed. Um, so he, he put up with a lot and uh, worked overtime, and so really grateful for him and, and the leadership that he provides to this church and to our family. So make sure you guys encourage him um, and thank him in the days to come. Uh, you know, my four children were, were a part of flip camp, um, and my two-year-old daughter, Sage uh, made this comment uh, reflecting on her time at camp throughout the week um, in her two-year-old way. Um, and what she, she said a few times to me was, Jesus is at church. Jesus is at church. Um, and I thought to myself, man, how profound and how grateful I am that that is what my young daughter is walking away from her time here, saying Jesus is at church. Um, because my fear is that too often our churches are evaluated as the last place that Jesus would ever be, um, sadly. Um, but because of the love shown to our children, because of the truth that we're sharing with our children, uh, they're walking away saying, that's where Jesus is. That's where the love of Christ is. That's where the hope of Christ is. Um, and I pray that that continue to be the case um, with Sage and with all of our little sages running around uh, every, every week. But thank you guys for investing in and praying for our young people. You know, we, um, we had small group discussion time. We had large group teaching time. All these different right ways that we were trying to press the truth of the gospel into our young people's hearts uh, over the last week. But we uh, also uh, encouraged them and tried to teach them a memory verse. Um, and it was Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And so to sort of cap off and land the plane for all of Flip Week, taking a break from Revelation, we'll get back to it in the next few weeks, uh, but I want to share with you guys and for our young people from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, and I'll read for us from uh, a kid's ministry version of the Bible. It was uh, translated by uh, Greek experts, but it was done so with, with children in mind, um, and so the translation will will read a little differently. Um, the letter of Hebrews was written by, we don't know who, um, but someone who was a leader in the early church, and he was writing to Christians. And he has in mind this metaphor, this picture of the Christian life as a journey or as a race. And so thus our theme of ready, set, move, um, trying to call our young people into this race, onto this journey of following after Jesus. So that's sort of the picture he has in mind of the Christian life um, as, as he 
uh, writes these verses in chapter 12. You may remember from Hebrews chapter 11, he lists out all these Old Testament believers who had finished the race, and now he turns to us who are in the middle of it. And he writes these words, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. A huge cloud of witnesses is all around us, so let us throw off everything that stands in our way. Let us throw off any sin that holds on to us so tightly, and let us keep on running the race marked out for us. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith, and he is the one who completes the journey of faith. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love taking the easy way out. So very often in life, as I'm navigating my way through it, I am looking for the path of least resistance. So for example, earlier this year, my family and I, we went to Zender's Splash Village in Frankenmuth. It's this awesome indoor water park. And I don't like climbing the big tower to go down the slides. I don't like splashing around in the pool to play water basketball, no. My favorite thing to do is the lazy river. <laughs> you just hop in there and the water carries you along. And I'm just completely passive in this amazing experience of effortlessness. So bobbing along in the lazy river all day was me and all the other grandparents <laughs> enjoying ourselves. It's the easy way, no resistance. Or here's another example of this. I wonder if any of you guys have ever been faced with this choice right here. Usually you'll see this when you're walking through the airport, you need to go up to the higher part of the building. You can take the stairs, see them there on the right, or you can take the escalator on the left. And this is a no-brainer, right? One is manual, the other is automatic. One requires passivity, the other requires activity. One is easy. And one is hard. So you know me, I'm lazy river escalator all day. And I really enjoy, I really enjoy that nice, slow ride up the stairs, just take a sip of my coffee, check on my flight status. It's awesome. And it's easy. It's awesome because it's easy. But here's the rub. Here's the problem that Hebrews chapter 12 is addressing. Following Jesus is the most awesome thing in the world. That's what we've been laboring for and praying towards all week and throughout their whole lives that our children will get this. Following Jesus is the most awesome thing in life, but it is not easy. Following Jesus is the literal best. Nothing is better than knowing Christ. Nothing is better than receiving grace from him. Nothing is better than learning truth from him. 
By following Jesus, we enter into a relationship with God, our creator. By following Jesus, we gain lasting purpose in this life. By following Jesus, we gain eternal hope into the next life. In Psalm chapter 63, verse 3, King David writes, The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Oh, there's nothing, nothing better than you. We sang a moment ago. The most awesome thing in the world is following Jesus. But unlike the lazy river, unlike the escalator, it is not easy. And so the big idea of our message today, and really one of the big ideas from the book of Hebrews is, the race of faith requires endurance. The race of faith requires endurance. Now maybe endurance is a new word for some of our young people, so here's my simple definition. Endurance is effort through obstacles. So a lot of you guys remember, during flip camp earlier this week, we had an obstacle course. And it was designed to be challenging. It was designed to require effort. Well, that effort, the obstacle course required of you, is endurance. It's effort through obstacles. And the race of faith, the race of following Jesus, requires that kind of endurance. A lot of that kind of endurance. The passivity of the lazy river the effortlessness of the escalator will not work in the race of faith. Following Jesus requires the kind of effort and struggle and strength of an obstacle course. So how can we endure? What kind of direction, what kind of motivation do we see laid out for us here in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, first, the writer is going to tell us, notice the crowd who's gone before you. Notice the crowd who's gone before you. So looking back at verse 1, the first thing the writer mentions is what he calls a huge cloud of witnesses. He says in verse 1, a huge cloud of witnesses is all around us. So in the ancient world, a long time ago, the, world, the word cloud could also be used to describe a big group or a big crowd of people. So clouds are often grouped together in these big clusters, in these big collections, all together taking up space in the sky. And sometimes people in Bible times would refer to large crowds as clouds because the large crowd was similarly this big cluster, this big collection of people taking up so much space. Well, the author says, as we run the race of faith, as we follow after Jesus, there is a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. This is not like the crowds at the Oakland A's baseball games, which are so historically small that the organization is leaving Oakland. This is not like the crowds at my Little League baseball game when I played with the Braves and we barely won a single game. Those were skimpy crowds. No, he says here, as we run the race of faith, as we follow after Jesus, there is a great cloud of witnesses all around us. Now the question is, who are these witnesses? Who are these people in this crowd? Well, if we go back to chapter 11, just prior to chapter 12, 
then what we see is the author working his way all the way through the history of God's people. So he starts with Abel, Adam and Eve's son from Genesis chapter 4, and then he works his way through all these different Old Testament followers of God. He lists men and women just briefly sharing about how they ran the race of faith with endurance. He lays out all these believers in God who ran the race, who finished the race in years past, how they overcame. He especially shares about the obstacles that they had to overcome. He shares about how Abraham, Abraham was called by God to go to a place that he did not know about, a place that he had never been before. God called Abraham to go into an unknown, potentially scary place, but by faith, Abraham endured that obstacle and he finished the race. The author talks about Moses. He shares about how God called Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt, even though that would mean facing the angry wrath of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But by faith, Moses endured the angry obstacle and he finished the race. The author also shares about Rahab, this woman who protected God's people at the risk of her own life. By faith, she endured that risky obstacle and she finished the race. The author just goes on and on like this throughout Hebrews chapter 11, listing all of these Old Testament long ago believers who completed the race of faith. And there's so many of these accomplished race-finishing believers that towards the end of the chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he says, what more shall I say? Time would fail me to keep mentioning these Old Testament followers of God who finished the race before us. So he finally finishes chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, verse 1, as we said, he writes about this great cloud of witnesses that now surrounds us. So the idea seems to be that those who've gone before us and finished the race, they are now in this great crowd all surrounding us as we take the baton from them and start to run the race ourselves. They completed it. They crossed the finish line, still following God, still believing in his promises, and they take a seat now in the stands, as it were, as we carry out the race in front of them. But here's the thing about this crowd. Normally, when there's a crowd at an athletic competition, the crowd is there to watch the game. Like earlier this year, my son, Charlie, played flag football, and I was in the crowd so that I could watch him. And my son, William, now, he's in a rec league baseball game. He had a game yesterday. I sat in the bleachers to watch him. He's not watching me. But in the picture the writer is drawing for us in Hebrews chapter 12, the crowd is gathering around us not so much to watch us, it's for us to notice them. He says, as we run the race of faith, we should look in the crowd of believers who've gone before us. Notice Abraham. Notice Moses. Notice Rahab. They're not racing anymore because they finished. Despite all the obstacles they faced, they made it all the way to the finish line. And if they did it, then by God's grace, you can as well. 
If Abraham endured through fear of the unknown, you can too. If Moses endured through self-doubt facing Pharaoh, you can too. If Rahab endured through a risky, dangerous calling, you can too. Maybe this is something that will help capture what the author is talking about. So check out this picture. Some of you may recognize it. It's the rafters at Little Caesars Arena downtown where the Detroit Pistons play. And part of what you can see there are these banners hanging, banners with numbers on them. They're numbers and the names of players on banners hanging from the rafters from the Pistons past. Number 40, Bill Lambeer. Number 32, Richard Hamilton. Number 11, Isaiah Thomas, and so forth. These are players from the Pistons past, players who've gone before, players who finished their career, players who won championships, who won scoring titles, who won MVP awards. Now imagine current Pistons players in the middle of a tough contest, in the middle of a difficult game, looking up and seeing all these guys, remembering all their accomplishments and then thinking to themselves, man, they played for this very same franchise. And they were victorious. They overcame. They accomplished what they set out to do. Well, that's not too unlike what the author is saying here. He's saying, notice the crowd who's gone before you. Notice the crowd of witnesses. They were broken men and women. They were, in many cases, quite sinful men and women. And yet, at the same time, they were able to blaze a trail of faithfulness when the odds were stacked against them. They endured through trial and temptation and obstacles and setbacks. They endured through faith and finished the race. So church, let's notice these heroes of the faith who've gone before us. And if we do, we will realize that they are not too unlike us. Abraham struggled with a lot of fear. Moses struggled with a lack of self-confidence. Rahab struggled with some really difficult life circumstances. And yet there they are, hanging in the rafters, memorialized in Hebrews chapter 11, their jersey number, hanging up there for us to look at, for us to remember. If their fears and their sins and their struggles didn't keep them from crossing the finish line, then they don't have to keep us from following the finish line. So how can we endure? And what motivation can we draw from Hebrews chapter 12? First, notice the crowd who's gone before you. Secondly, let go of whatever's holding you back. Let go of whatever is holding you back. So look once more at verse 1, the second half of it. Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, so let us throw off everything that stands in our way. Let us throw off any sin that holds on to us tightly and let us keep on running the race marked out for us. So he says that there are things that stand in our way. He says there are things that hold us back. And these things need to be thrown away. These things need to be pushed aside so that we can keep running our, way, our race. If you've ever walked with ankle weights or if you've ever run wearing a parachute behind you, then you know that there is a way to run 
with a lot of resistance. The writer, the writer is saying, whatever it is, whatever sin it is, throw it off so that you can run freely. Let me give you an example of this. There's a man from England. His name is Lloyd Scott. And back in 2012, Scott broke a record running the slowest time in London Marathon history. And his history-making, record-breaking last place race time was five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, 46 seconds. Now, I've often thought to myself, like, man, I could never run a marathon. But if you gave me anywhere close to that amount of time, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could do it. So why did it take this guy so painfully long? Well, it's because he did it wearing this. That's right. For the entire race, Scott wore a 1940s diving suit that added 130 pounds to his total body weight. The suit, as you can also imagine, limited his range of motion, so he wasn't getting a full range stride. It was more of an awkward shuffle for 26.2 miles. Now, the reason Scott did this and the reason that he got so much attention for it was because of how ridiculous it is. Because this is not the way you run a race. Normally, a, a marathoner will run in the most awkwardly shortest shorts possible. <laughs> the lightest possible shoes. The most breathable shirt they can find in order to gain every advantage. Most sane people will not run a marathon in a 1940s diving suit because we understand the burden is unnecessary, maybe even dangerous. We understand it will keep us from finishing the race quickly, may keep us from finishing the race at all. Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing here. In the same way that the marathoner should not run with a scuba suit, there are some things you shouldn't run with either. He says everything that stands in our way, throw it off, especially any sin that holds on to us tightly, for sure, throw it off. So he mentions two things, right? The first thing he mentions is everything. Anything that holds you back, throw it off. So this means that it may be a good thing. It may not necessarily be a sinful thing, but it may still be something that stands in our way. So for example, this is one that a lot of us have wrestled with the last few years, social media. Social media is a good thing in and of itself. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but they can eat up a lot of our time. They can be a distraction. They can lead to us speaking too rashly and listening too poorly. So a lot of us have had to say, you know what? It's a good thing, but it is a gone thing, at least for a season. So he says everything, anything, even if it's a good thing, it may still be holding you back and you need to let it go so that you can run the race of faith effectively. Then the second thing he mentions is sin. There are sinful behaviors, sinful attitudes that are going to slow you down. Could be that you're bitter and angry and unforgiving towards a friend. 
could be that you're living and talking one way in front of your Christian friends at church and then living and talking another way in front of your non-Christian friends at school, at work, at the bar, or wherever. Could be that you're lying, cheating, scheming in some sort of financial situation. I mean, it could be any number of things that's holding us back. But whether it's a good thing or a sinful thing, they can hold us back like running with a parachute on. They can weigh us down like running with a scuba suit. So what is it for you? What's holding you back? What's holding you down as you seek to run the race of faith? Whether it's a good thing that's become too much of a thing for you and it's blocking you from pursuing Jesus? What is the sinful thing that's strapped around your leg like a nagging ankle weight slowing you down? What is it for you? The author says, throw it off, let it go. However good it is, however good it feels, it is not worth it. Let those things go, and dare I say, put on the light, breezy, awkwardly short shorts of faith. Amen? Let go of everything that holds you back so that you can run with full effectiveness, so that you can run with endurance. How can we endure? Notice the crowd who's gone before you. Let go of whatever holds you back. And finally, look to Jesus for strength and hope. Look to Jesus. One more time, verse 2. This is the one we had the kids memorize. The writer says, let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith, and he is the one who completes the journey of faith. So the writer has called us to look back to Abraham. He's called us to look back to Moses, to look back to Rahab, but now he turns our eyes to the chief example of faith, the hero of all heroes, Jesus. And what he says about Jesus is that he started the journey of faith. Other translations say that he is the founder of of the faith. In other words, he's the one who goes before all the other ones. In the race of faith, no one is out ahead of Jesus. We are all following him. Father Abraham and Mother Rahab alike, we are all following Jesus. He's our captain, he's our leader, he has completed the journey of faith. Even though Jesus faced the obstacle of the cross, he did not let the shame of the cross slow him down. Even though Jesus faced the challenge of sacrificing himself, he endured to the end. He gave up his life. He died in the place of sinners. He carried all of our burdens. He carried all of our shame. He carried all of our sin. It was an incredible weight, way more than 130 pounds. But he carried it all the way up to Calvary. He carried it all the way up to the cross so that we could be free from every burden, so that we could let it go at his feet and then run the race of faith with full strength. And after Jesus finished the race, the writer says in the rest of chapter 12, verse 2, that he sat down triumphant at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus sat down because, in a sense, 
There was nothing more for him to do. He finished what he started out to do. He completed the work that was necessary for us and for our salvation. And so he sits. We're running, but he's sitting. So no matter where you are on this journey, maybe you've just started. Maybe you started a long time ago. Maybe you haven't quite started the journey at all. The answer for all of us, no matter where you are, the answer for all of us is the same. Look to Jesus. There is mercy in his heart for the worst sinners. There is strength through his spirit for the weakest person. There is healing in his presence for the most broken among us. As the author says, look to him. Trust in him. Give your life to him. And it's not just one glance at Jesus that's going to give us the endurance we need to finish the race. No, as he says, we keep looking to Jesus. We continually, week after week, day after day, look to Jesus, receiving from him, meditating on him so that we can resist sin, so that we can fulfill his purpose, so that we can finish the race with endurance. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I'm running the race of faith and I'm following after Jesus with a scuba suit on. <laughs> and not only is there no escalator, but sometimes it feels like the escalator is going backwards, going the wrong way as I try to follow after Jesus. So I just want you to know if that's you, you are not alone. Our forefathers, Abraham and Moses, our matriarch who's gone before us, Rahab, they struggled. And heaven knows I, your lead pastor here, for sure struggle. But by God's grace, we look to Jesus and he fills us. We look to Jesus and he holds us, he carries us so that we can endure, so that we can complete the race of faith, the journey of faith that he called us onto. I pray it would be so for you and for our children. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's word together, and we'll close our service by singing to him. I'll pray for us.